Well, we are starting a new series here at um, the five o'clock service, as you can see behind, uh, the Apostolic Faith, the Church of Acts chapter 2. We just finished our Trinity series last week. And this new series, what we try to do at the teaching service is, is we look at different aspects of the Word of God and in different ways. Sometimes we'll do a series on a subject like Israel and the church, or Trinity, or end times truths, and all of those you can, you can watch. They're up there on our website. If you go to the media page and scroll down to series, press on series, and then you'll get all of the teaching series, indeed all of the series from all of the services will be there. So you can go to Israel and the church, press on it, and then bang, 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 bang. The four or five uh, sermons that were linked to that are there for you. So do use that as a resource um, for you. Greetings to everybody who's joining us on the internet. A lot of people join us at the internet or watch these programs later on in the week. So we are going to look at the church of Acts chapter 2. And um, the reason that we're, we're going to be doing this is because we are called Pentecostals. Kensington Temple is a Pentecostal church. And that means that we identify with the fresh wave and movement and restoration of the truths of Acts in the early 1900s. You know, uh, the church for, for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years, had lost the plain revelation of the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts is not just history, it's also a model for Christians today. That's why we're looking at the church of Acts. Because once we begin to do what the church of Acts do with the power that they were given, we will get the same results. And of course, in these chapter 2, the, the book of Acts has just received a fresh power from Pentecost, which began to turn things right side up. And so when we look at the book of Acts, we are seeking to find a model for our living and to look at our personal lives but also our church lives, and say, hey, are we really Pentecostal? What, what more do we need to restore from that first church? Remember, the first church that ever was, was the Acts chapter 2 church. The first church. I do believe that it's a model church. I know we're living in, in, in well, not so different days, but the emphases, the things they focused on, that's what we need to focus on today. And many Christians aren't satisfied with Christianity as usual. They're fed up playing church. Or they're getting a little bit of church here, a little bit of church there. Maybe they turn up to church on Sunday. Maybe they watch church on TV. And uh, they are lost because they don't have that fire or that focus that God intends us to have. Well, the book of Acts was designed to be God's training manual for modern Christians. I'm convinced about that. Seeing and understanding what worked so well 2,000 years ago and directly applying this to our walk with God today will provide a total boost to our Christian life. Now, we, we call the book of Acts, and at the beginning of the book of Acts, the title is The Acts of the Apostles. Well, that's not part of the scripture. Someone's just written it there. But actually, rather than the Acts of the Apostles, as we will see, it would be better be written, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
Because before the Holy Spirit came, the church did nothing. It waited for power from on high. Or, as well as entitling the acts of the Holy Spirit, Stanley Horton, in his fantastic Pentecostal um, commentary on the book of Acts, Stanley Horton, says we could call it the acts, the continuing acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in his church. Remember, even Jesus, he waited, didn't he, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit before he ministered. 30 years without one sermon, 30 years without one miracle, he waited. Everything Jesus did in his ministry, he did in partnership with the Holy Spirit as a model for us and as a model for the church. Now, when we come to the book of Acts, before we get into the church of Acts chapter 2, we're going to have to understand Acts chapter 1, and we'll also be looking at Acts 3, 4, and 5, so that we can see that this church that's, that's described in Acts 2, what was it like? How was it born? What was its principles? How did it deal with difficulties? But the, the, the main section that I want to look at, I want to read to you today, is in Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. Peter is just preaching the gospel and, and saying, and people are saying, what shall we do to be saved? And he said, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I, you, the church of Acts was separated from the perverse generation that it found itself in. One of the problems with the Western church is so much of the Western church has not separated itself from the perverse generation. The perverse generation of the Western world is in the church sometimes as much as it is in the world. Be separated from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his words were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly, not just once in a blue moon. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And this word fellowship, as we'll see, means partnership. Partnership for a cause. Fellowship in the breaking of bread. And in prayers, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily, with one accord, in unity, in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There's so much in that description of the first church that ever was. And we will be unpacking that later. But we're going to go back to Acts chapter 1 right now and see the context of the birth of this new Pentecostal church. Now, when we look at the book of Acts, we remember 
that the author of the book of Acts was Luke, Luke the doctor. And Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as a two-volume series. So he addresses Theophilus at the beginning of Luke, and then he addresses Theophilus. The word Theophilus means God-lover, was probably some high-ranking Christian believer. Uh, And then at the beginning of Acts, he he speaks to philosophers. In verse 1, he said, The former account, that's the Gospel of Luke, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. I'll come back to that. Until the day in which he was taking up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so here, Luke is saying, look, I gave you the account of Jesus and everything that he did and taught. It's not just about teaching. It's not just about doctrine. It's not just about truth. But in fact, Luke said, before I even speak about Jesus' teaching, I speak about his doing. We'll find out that the Pentecostal church is a church that does. The church of Acts was a doing church, not just a believing church. As Colin was preaching this morning on faith and action, you know, so much of the church today believes, has mental assent, believes the truths, but you look at their lives and they might as well not believe. What they say they believe in their mind is not in their actions, that they have the teaching but not the doing. But Luke said, I reported everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. When we look at the church of the book of Acts, we're going to ask ourselves, what were they taught? But we're going to ask ourselves, what did they do? And why aren't we doing it today? The uh, diary and Bible reading plan, that's a doing. That's a doing. It's a basic doing for Christian lives. If you're not in the Word every day, or in prayer every day, I mean most every day, if you don't have a habitual daily devotional or prayer, then you're barely surviving as a Christian. You are are probably um, dying from lack of spiritual oxygen. Uh, (laughs) Because the Bible brings you breath, the breath of God. It causes you to breathe spiritually. The Word of God feeds you. Man does not live by bread alone. Can you imagine if you stopped eating food? You'd soon be weak, unable to go to work, unable to study, unable to deal with life. Why? Because you're physically weak. Well, if you don't feed on God's Word, no wonder you can't cope with the things life throws at you because you you are, are absolutely emaciated. You've got no spiritual strength. So the book of Acts, as we'll see, was in the apostolic teaching and in prayer on a, on, a da- on a daily basis. Now, then we see in verse 2 that the mention here is that, look, until the day in which Jesus was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments. What a powerful thing to say at the beginning of Acts. Again, what Luke is saying is, hey, Jesus didn't just speak on his own. He only spoke what his father gave him, but that came through the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he gave commandments to the disciples, he wasn't just standing there, okay, commandment number one, commandment number two, this is what I want you to do, a series of instructions. But when he spoke commandments, they came accompanied and inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was Pentecostal, if you know what I'm talking about. And and, and Luke picks up this theme. 
picks up this theme. And the church that we're talking about, what was the, uh, the, the number of the church that were here? Well, we, um, we see that uh, in verse 3, Jesus presented him alive, himself alive as he'd been raised from the dead with many infallible proofs, being seen by them 40 days speaking about and pertaining to the kingdom of God. We know that Paul says that Jesus, during this period between um, his, between his resurrection and his ascension, during these days, he appeared to many different people. He appeared to his own brother, James, who, had, who hadn't been saved during his ministry. He appeared resurrected. At one time, Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians, he appeared to 500 in one gathering. And what was he doing when he was appearing to them? He was speaking, the, speaking to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So we know that this early church is being prepared to minister and to understand what? What was Jesus teaching? Was he teaching on Leviticus? I don't think so. Was he teaching on the end times? Perhaps. But what Jesus was doing, he was saying, look, soon the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon you. I need to speak to you about the kingdom of God. Pentecostal people are foremostly a kingdom people. What do you mean? It means they're not of the kingdom of this world. They don't use the powers of the kingdoms of this world, political power, military power, but they are of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, when the power of God breaks forth, there is the kingdom of God in the midst of you. When demonic powers are dethroned, and their bondage over people broken, there is the kingdom of God amongst you. Luke chapter 4 says that Jesus' kingdom program was that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's Pentecostal. Why? To preach good news. And what, what was that good news? In Luke 4 verse 18, to preach good news to the poor. That's not just people with no money. That's people that are poverty-stricken on the inside, on the outside. Their lives are poverty-stricken. They're broken people. He says, preach the gospel to the poor. What poor? Heal the brokenhearted. Do you know how many people are brokenhearted in this nation? Do you know how many people on the inside are smashed up, beat up, broken on the inside? And day by day, they're not getting healed. They're getting more broken. You just have to look at it. Many, many people, by the end of their teenage years, they're broken wrecks. They're addicts to alcohol and sex and violence, broken-hearted. And, and, and where are they going to be fixed? They're just going to pull themselves together? No, they can cover over the crap, cracks, but only the gospel can heal. The power of the Holy Spirit, that can heal a man. That can turn a man around and cause him to be born again. To heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. This nation is in captivity to sin and Satan. <laughs> it, it, they, they couldn't break the chains if they wanted to. They are blinded by the enemy. Deceived by the enemy. Living lives of untruths. False religion, false gods and no gods at all, which is the falsest God of all. Jesus says, I've come to preach deliverance from the captives 
Anybody that hears my words and believes them, Jesus said, will be delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. From darkness to light. This is what happens in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. People are radically saved, radically delivered, radically healed to set at liberty those who are oppressed and preach the acceptable, favorable year of the Lord. This is the things in verse 3 pertaining to the kingdom of God. These were the things. This is his program in Luke chapter 4. And these were the things that he was talking about. That the church of Acts would carry on his ministry in multiplication and power. You know, well over half of the New Testament is dedicated to explaining the origins and growth of the Christian movement. 56% of the New Testament explains the origins and growth of the Christian movement. That's the Gospels and Acts. And, and another 38% deals with the nurture of, a, of existing Christians. So 56% on the origins and growth. 38% deals with the nurture and strengthening of existing Christians. These are the letters. And then the book of Revelation comprises the remaining 6%. The Gospel and the Book of Acts are foundational to show how Christians live and act. It is the model for active, spirit-filled Christianity. Now, most people, when they look at the Book of Acts, they, um, they turn to chap verse 8 of chapter 1, and they say that this verse sums up everything in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the summary of the book of Acts. We're about to see the first church, the Pentecostal church. And then throughout the book of Acts, we see this growth and this moving out from Jerusalem to Judea after the persecution, then to Samaria. And then right, right at the end, as Paul is on his way to Rome, it tells us that it's not finished yet, but the work was to be continued. And you know, the book of Acts is being continued today. And when we read the book of Acts, we shouldn't say, oh, wow, that was powerful way back then. We should be saying, I'm part of it. I'm the next chapter. Well, there's been a few chapters between them and us, but we should say, hey, I'm going to carry on this, this way. The Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's plan for the church has not changed, although the church has changed. God's plan and God's methods are the same, that they were when he, when he sent his son and when he poured out his Holy Spirit. And so as we look at the book of Acts, we should look at it as a mirror. We should, as we look in the mirror and see principles, we should say to ourselves, how does the church of today reflect in the mirror of the church of Acts? The principles of the church of Acts, the... Uh, the things that they prized, the things that they focused on, the methods that they used, are they being translated into the modern-day church 
or are we really in principles and focus nothing like the book of Acts? I believe that our church, Kensington Temple, is very much moving towards more and more the principles of the book of Acts. Excuse me, I've got an itchy nose. And when you look at Acts chapter 2 and that verse I gave you on the Bible reading plan, many of these things we already are doing. Maybe we need to increase what we're doing. The fellowshipping, the cell groups, the, the house to house, or cafe to cafe, or Starbucks to Starbucks. It doesn't matter. We translate the principle to today's church. Many of these things our senior leader has been bringing into the life of the church over at least the last 20 years. But we want to see how we can strengthen these foundations and add others to our ministry so that we can see the results that we need, need to see. Now, <clears throat> where should I? Yeah. Jesus said to them in Luke, he said, wait into Jerusalem until you have received power from on high. Here in verse 8, he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Earlier on in the same verse, he says in verse 4, sorry, in earlier verse, in verse 4, he says, wait for the promise of the Father. Verse 5, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We see right at the beginning, there's a waiting that's going on there is a command that something is going to happen to you. And when this happens, that's when the waiting stops and the doing starts. But wait until you're clothed with power from on high. We see that in, in the book of Acts, there are two major aspects of two major issues that we find throughout the book of Acts. The first is the issue of power, supernatural power, number one. Right from the beginning of Acts and right through Luke as, as a two-volume series, the emphasis is on the work of the Holy Spirit and supernatural power being poured out from heaven upon our lives. So, the book of Acts is characterized by powerful ministries, supernatural healings, deliverances, miracles, and spiritual warfare. Stay until you receive super, not natural power, but supernatural power, and then let that supernatural power loose through your lives. So the, we will see in the church of the book of Acts, the first church was a supernatural church. It's, it energized itself supernaturally. It was a praying church, as we will see. And not just a praying church, it was a united church. They were a church that believed that prayer releases power. Little prayer releases little power. Much prayer releases much power. And there was much spirit-filled prayer in the church. Of Acts, and we will see at times when they pray, this wasn't just little praying, natural praying, 
but this was Holy Ghost praying. Morris Sorello said, I say it often because it had such a profound effect on me when I heard him say it. He said this, prayer is an anointing. Prayer is an anointing. I thought, what do you mean prayer is an anointing? Or what if there's no anointing? Well, your prayer is not effective without the Holy Spirit leading your prayer, filling your prayer. There's nothing worse than so-called prayer without an anointing. It's dead. You ever been in a dead prayer meeting? Or with dead, Christ dead Christians? They're Christians, but they're dead, powerless. Why? They haven't been baptized with power from on high. They haven't even spoken two words in tongues, but they think they can lead a prayer meeting. They don't even know how to edify themselves. They think they can lead a prayer meeting. And you're around them, it's dead. It's just human words. You ever been around some spirit-filled people? With the passion in their hearts and fire, believing that their prayers will make a difference and allowing the Holy Spirit to pray through them in tongues and all kinds of different prayers. Those prayers take on a life of their own, a life of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's, I, like, I like this witness. It's like you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and then you're going to witness. You're going to, you're going to preach the gospel, not just in your city. Not just in the cities around you in Judea. You're going to go to Samaria. What? Samaria? We can't stand the Samaritans. Yeah, well, you're going to go there. Well, all right. And then not just there, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. I mean, when, 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 we, when we look at how many of them that there were, he appeared to 500 or so, and uh, there must have been about 600 believers at this time, and... We know that there wasn't many of them, only just over a hundred that, that had come to pray on the, day of, on the day of Pentecost. So there wasn't that many of them, but Jesus says, I'm going to give you such power, it's going to go to the ends of the earth. Well, how about us? Are we ends of the earth type Christians? Or are we just localized Christians? You know the mission statement of this church is a Book of Acts mission statement. It's there on the front cover of, um, of your Revival Times every month. Can anyone tell me what the mission statement of the church is? Well done, that's good news. London? London for Christ would be enough, wouldn't it? In many ways. London, Notting Hill for Christ. Some of you aren't from Notting Hill Gate, neither am I, but... London for Christ, Ooh, that's, oh, that's a big job. London and the world, some people that go right over their heads, oh, I can barely, barely cope with my neighborhood, let alone with London, let alone the world. Well, imagine what these people felt. They, they, they didn't even believe at that moment, the, the church, the, the first church, they didn't even think that the Gentiles were going to get saved. Do you remember how Peter was, couldn't believe it? that Gentiles got saved. Nobody could believe it. Gentiles were getting saved. But Jesus had said to all the world, and the word there for world is ethnic group. It means to every people. That's what God wants with us, friends. That This missions month that we had in July, it's not just one month. We're going, to, we're going to bring this cell leaders into our lives more and more, month by month. Some of the missions are here in the, in, in the, in the Bible reading plan. We have a special monthly missions as well for those that want, want one that we can get hold of. 
We want to be global Christians. We want to make a difference. You know, at the last cell leaders meeting that we had, we raised our offering of just under £3,000. I sent an email about it. We sent that. We sent that straight to Romania. And it allowed them to continue to plant churches in two towns and one Muslim town where there was no church. And the pastor of that church that was just planted in that Muslim town in Romania, he had to leave the church and go and work in Spain for the summer just to get money for him and his large family. And that £3,000 that we sent as an eldership in Romania, they said, you know what, this will keep this man ministering on the front line and growing this church. You see, that's something that we've done. And many of us are going to go to Romania. Many of you are going to go to Romania for a mission, a long weekend. You're going to go preach the gospel. We're going to do it. And to Africa and everywhere else. That's what we're going to be. Why? Because to the ends of the earth, Kensington Temple. <laughs> Some of us, it's, we're not even down to the ends of our street, are we? But don't worry. Because we will receive P-O-W-E-R. I'm in a Morisarello power, you know it. I'm in a Morisarello mood today, aren't I? But we're going to have P-O-W-E-R, spells power, and we're going to, we're going to do that. We've got, to, we've got to change ourselves to have a mentality that's in the book of Acts. Because I'm telling you something, as we go through in these weeks, you're going to look at the book of Acts, and you're going to look at yourself, and you're going to say, change needs to take place. I want to have the mind of Pentecostals. People all around the world calling themselves Pentecostals. Half of them don't even, don't even qualify to call them that. And you'd, you'd take these Pentecostal old-fashioned churches, they're more concerned about what a woman wears on her head and how long her dress is, and you take that church, some of you know what I'm talking about? Been there, done that, Marcia, eh? You got delivered from that, praise the Lord. Amen. And you take those old-fashioned Pentecostal churches and you put them up and to the mirror of the Pentecostal in Acts. It's like two religions. Well, one religion and one spirit-empowered people. And it's the book of Acts. And I can't help, verse 9 I love. Verse 9 just makes me laugh. Because, now, when he had spoken these things, well, verse 9 and 10, 11. When he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. Jesus is ascension. This is his ascension. And he, didn't come, he hasn't come down since, but he sent his Holy Spirit. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, verse 10 of Acts 1, as he went up, behold, two men stood behind them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up in heaven? I wonder how long, it says it came, I wonder how long they were like. Because it's a pretty powerful experience, isn't it, to see the essential. So Jesus is there, and he's like, Bye. And there they are. And they're like... And they're just looking. I don't know how long they were, but God says, oh, can you tell them to get a move on? Two angels appear, and they're like, you know, they're like... Uh, and they're there, you can see, you can imagine these angels behind them. And one of them sort, sort of like saying, oi, 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 what, what? Oh, angels, what are you doing? Stop staring into heaven and get on with the job. You, the Holy Spirit's coming. What, you don't need to be stirring into heaven because heaven's going to be coming down in a few days' time. And then they entered into the upper room. And here, verse 14, we're seeing something that is important for the Pentecostals, the first church of the book of Acts. They all 
continued. Steadfast, as it say in your version. They are steadfastly or continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. Thank God for Christian women. Hallelujah. I wouldn't be preaching to many people in this service today if it wasn't for Christian women. I know what side my bread's buttered on. With the women, Mary was there. And his brothers had got born again, and Peter was there. And uh, they, they continued. Prayer. They were a people of prayer. And not just here and there, not just a few prayers here and a few prayers there, or, or when, you, when you can't deal with life without God, and you're forced to pray up a help me prayer. No, 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 this wasn't them. They continued in prayer and supplication. They were steadfast. And they continued, here's Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly. They, 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 they became daily in prayer, breaking of bread, teaching. This is what God wants for each one of us. If we call ourselves Pentecostal, we've got to get our basic spiritual disciplines in order. And, and not only that, but in one accord, or united. This will come up again and again in the next few chapters. They were united. And that's why when the power of God came and people started to get saved, they didn't dissipate. They didn't break up. The structure didn't, didn't uh, disintegrate. Why? Because of unity. Do you know, if God began to bless many of our churches with numbers those churches would not be able to handle the numbers. What, because they don't have a big enough auditoriums? No. No, why? Because what would happen is, as soon as that type of success and people came into the churches, all the flesh of the leaders would be exposed. There, there would be people trying to, to use the number of peoples for their own political purposes, or walking, strutting around like peacocks, with who's got the biggest church, or who's got the greatest downline, now, what if God blessed one of our downlines, one of our cells, above all the rest, and they started to be hundreds and thousands? Would that leader still stay in unity? Or would that leader suddenly believe that they were something extra special and maybe they should be the senior minister? Or maybe they should have this or that, and would they start holding the rest of the church for ransom? You'd be surprised that, that sometimes I wonder, it's just a thought, I wonder whether part of the reason that God withholds the harvest just, withholds the harvest is because if it came, it would be spoiled. We'll see that in the book of Acts, at least in the early days, there was no spoiling of the harvest. People grew. There was a unity there, a unity. I thank God for the unity in Kensington Temple. We're so diverse, so many different cultures, so many different backgrounds. So many different people in so many different parts of society. So many different cells. So many different churches. And yet our unity is increasing, not decreasing. And we've had our problems in the past, but I tell you what. God's called people have always been united. And where we're going, and what God wants for us, unity will be an absolute key. We can only grow in numbers 
as we grow in unity. Unity is powerful. That's where God commands the blessing. And what we want more than anything is the blessing of fruitfulness, the blessing of souls and disciples and multiplications. Not because we want to be anybody or go around showing off. If we do, then we don't deserve it. God, send it to somebody else who will look after the harvest responsibly. But there they were, united in one accord, receiving the power for making a difference, not just for enjoying the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit helping them in their own lives, but the major reason that the Holy Spirit was sent was for mission, power. And uh, now we move, and, and I'm just preparing this so we can get to the Church of Acts. Now we move to chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. And it says that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with, again, one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heavens as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. And they're all amazed, marveled, saying to one another, look, are these the, not, the, not these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear in our own language in which we were born? And it describes all the different people that heard them speaking in tongues and, and glorifying God. And uh, we see that here they were waiting for power. This, this waiting on the Lord, as I mentioned, this prayer is something that we'll see again and revisit next week when we come to the church in the book of Acts, this constant praying and waiting on, on the Lord. We, we know that um, um, that they were, as we'll see later, continually in the temple praising and blessing God. And uh, as, as they received the power of the Holy Spirit, Something changed within them. So, in this first chapter, we're setting the scene. And what we see here is the emphasis on mission, the continuance of Jesus' ministry. Do you know Pentecostals have nearly always seen Jesus as a model? Now, Jesus is the perfect model. It's not wrong to have a perfect model. We don't have to get discouraged because Jesus was the perfect model. We should be encouraged because it's his ministry by the Holy Spirit through us as, in, uh, as imperfect vessels. But some people today are writing books, they call themselves Pentecostals, and they're not. And in their books, they're saying that Jesus is not the model. In their books, they're saying that Jesus is the way that Jesus is healed. It's not the model. That was just for a one special individual called the Son of God. But it's not the case. They say, oh, when, when Jesus did creation miracles, it was to prove that he was the Son of God. We can't expect to do creation miracles. Well, that's not true. Jesus walked on the water, but so did Peter. If, if, if God wants to do miracles through our hands to multiply 
bread and fish, we can do that. We're in Jesus' body. I think we can do whatever he wants us to do. Of course, we've got to focus on lining up. And of course, we want to be vessels that can be used at a higher and higher level. But in the end, Jesus, Jesus is here, but we're his body. And so the idea that Jesus is not the model is ridiculous. Then if Jesus is not the model, we're not his body, but we're his body. So although we've got a lot of growing up to do and learning to do and cleansing to do and healing in our lives, we're his body. Jesus's body hasn't changed. It's doing the same thing today. It's preaching the gospel. It's binding up the brokenhearted. It's making disciples. It's bringing in the supernatural kingdom of God. And, and, and we're his body. We do what he, we, he is the model. And as we come to the book of Acts, these are models. We can look as we finish today and ask ourselves, okay, what, what have we learned today that we can reflect on in our personal lives, in our cell groups, if we're cell leaders, or our churches? And we can reflect on some of these emphases. The emphases on not doing the work without sufficient power. The emphasis on unity. The emphasis on leadership, the apostolic leadership. The emphasis on Speaking about the kingdom of God. Are we, are we kingdom of God focused? The emphasis on everything that Jesus began to, Jesus did, uh, did and taught. The emphasis on spirit reliance and the Holy Spirit. The emphasis on mission, London and the world for Christ. Unity I've mentioned, prayer I've mentioned, and expecting a divine visitation in our lives. Are these emphases sufficiently in our personal lives? If you say no, well, maybe you're here for a purpose. Maybe God brought you here to begin a new era in your life. Maybe you say it's there, but not strongly like this. It's all right. Let's make the adjustments together. We're on a journey. God's not here to condemn us, He's here, but he's not here to leave us as we are. If we were to come to God, and some, it's almost like some people do week by week, they come to God and they go away not changed. They come to God and they go away not changed. And although their mind knowledge increases, their life does not change. We don't want to be like that. That's not the kingdom of God. And so when we come to church and something speaks to us and we say, oh, I'm falling short in this area. I'm not manifesting that characteristic. I'm not sufficiently focused on that. We don't go away in a bad mood or, or feel sorrowful of heart, but we feel encouraged because God has highlighted these things by his Holy Spirit to begin to change these things. We're not those that hear the word only, but we're those that hear the word and then go to God and say, help me. I want these things to become more in, in my life. And, and these emphasis, the missions emphasis, thank God we've got senior leadership that are bringing those mission emphasis in increasing ways. They are trying to help us in manifesting these attributes of the first church. They're giving us tools and encouragement, and especially in our cell groups. That's where we help one another. It's not for you to go and, and have a Bible reading without someone encouraging you and saying, how are you doing on it? If you could do it alone, you'd be doing it already. It's not for you to simply establish daily prayer without others encouraging you and saying, hey, how's it going? Keep on going. If you could have daily prayer and you're not having daily... If you say, I could do this myself, then why aren't you? You're not here alone. You're here to be encouraged. You're here to be strengthened. 
You're here to be plugged in, and if you don't think you're plugged in and you want to be plugged in, you say, I need help in this. At the end of the service, there'll be people at the front to help you and give you advice how to find the right cell group or, co- or community of people to help you establish these things. Individually, you know, we are extremely weak. But together, we are overcomingly strong. Next week, we'll be going a little bit more into the detail of what Pentecost birthed in this apostolic church and applying that to our lives and ministry.